In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. Our main event is City Council Budget Committee Chairman Martavius Jones on the Budget Committee's wrap-up, seven impasse committees, and an executive order or two. Top of the podcast, Monday, the day of reckoning in Nashville for State House Speaker Glenn Caseda, specifically a closed House Republican caucus meeting that will be crucial to whether he stays or goes in a controversy that has kept the Capitol humming well after the gavel fell ending the 2019 session. Still waiting on a date here for the special session of the Shelby County Democratic Party's Executive Committee to determine whether the ongoing move by some to oust local party chair Michael Harris has any traction left. Some who initially voted for none of the above instead of Harris at the April party convention are either saying drop the matter or that they are uncertain. Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland making a rare mayoral move with an executive order that implements most of the Memphis 3.0 land use and development plan. Land use is the city council's turf by terms of the city charter, and the council has delayed a vote on the first of three readings of the ordinance three times since March. The council again scheduled to vote at its May 21st meeting. The executive order may have stoked the fire between, beneath rather, the opposition to the plan that appeared to be flickering out about the time Strickland appeared to grow tired of waiting for a council vote. The opposition to 3.0 has been primarily North Memphis activist Carnita Atwater, and Strickland made a point of gathering together the leaders of many more community development corporations for the signing to show the broad support the plan has. Some of those leaders not happy with the latest council delay this month that followed Atwater's filing of a pro se lawsuit in Memphis federal court against the city. Shelby County Commissioner and Memphis mayoral contender Tammy Sawyer warming up for a platform rollout with an economic equity scene setter that argues the city does not have the right jobs and the right wages, saying 43 percent of Memphis workers make less than a living wage, 65 percent of the jobs in the city at risk because of automation. This is a point Shelby County Mayor Lee Harris made in his recent budget address calling for a shift to tech jobs and specifically questioning the city's reliance on traditional distribution and logistics jobs in warehouses that are increasingly automated. Look for Sawyer to push this theme further leading up to and after Memorial Day, the traditional start of the campaigns putting everything they have on the streets and in the faces of voters. And who's running for what a catch-up list from our week off, and this is about to get much busier with candidates able to pull qualifying petitions for the Memphis elections starting May 20th. So, add Craig Littles, a Memphis police officer who who has appointed a treasurer to run for City Council Super District 8 Position 2, the seat currently held by Cheyenne Johnson. Radio host Terrence Boyce makes it six in the race for Memphis mayor. Boyce to open his campaign at the end of this month, joining incumbent Jim Strickland, former Mayor Willie Harrington, Shelby County Commissioner Tammy Sawyer, businessman LaMichael Wilson, and activist Pamela Moses. Word from City Court Clerk Kay Rabilio that she has not yet decided whether she will seek re-election this year. After our inquiries, an aide to Rabilio passed along a quote from her saying she, quote, very well may run. 
Remember Rhonda Logan, the Raleigh Community Development Corporation director, who was a front runner for the appointment last year to the vacant District 1 City Council seat? Well, Logan is back as a candidate for a full four-year term in Council District 1 on the October 3rd ballot. She opened her campaign last week in Raleigh. District 1 Councilmember Sherman Greer, who got the appointment for the council seat earlier this year, is also running for a full four-year term there. Micheline Easter Thomas, a Shelby County Schools teacher, opening her campaign for Council District 7. Incumbent Berlin Boyd running for re-election there, as well as Jimmy Hassan, Jared Price, Katrina Smith, and Thurston Smith. Joining us now is Memphis City Council member Martavius Jones, the Budget Committee Chairman for the Memphis City Council. Before we get into line items and dollar amounts, the Strickland Executive Order on the Memphis 3.0 plan. Uh, as a council member, one of 13 council members, how did you take that action by the mayor, and has he stepped on council toes with this? I think in a bit, uh, a, a bit he has stepped on council toes. Um, you know, as I've mentioned to people that I've talked to, the mayor and the administration have been apprised of this plan for the past two years, and to expect the council to act on it, particularly within a span of a week or two weeks upon receiving it, I think was a bit premature. Uh, for And then for us, we, well, I guess we got wind of it the night before, mm -hmm. but the mayor doesn't send out a communication to us about it until the next morning. So it could have been a, a little, it could have been handled a little bit better from the standpoint of presenting presented it to the public before it was presented to the council, I think may have taken uh, a couple of us off guard. So uh, the ordinance that is the Memphis 3.0 plan goes through three readings before the city council, and you are, in, are now scheduled to take the first of the three votes this coming Tuesday. Is, uh, is this going to affect the vote on it, do you think? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I think one of the reasons that we held it or postponed it at the last meeting was because we were served uh, with, well, we were received notice of an injunction that had been filed. And so it was handed over to Attorney Wade for him to review and then advise the council of how we should proceed. All right, to the budget. And let, let's start with the matter of uh, pay raises. At Tuesday's council session this coming Tuesday, there are seven items on the agenda, resolutions from seven council impasse committees. In five of the seven impasse committees, the trio of council members voted to go with the union's final offer, installed contract talks with the administration. This includes the fire and police unions, as well as the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, what are known as the big three of the city unions. Um, so, so if these positions are affirmed by the council, how does this uh, affect the budget proposed by the administration? I think it knocks it out of balance. Uh, we heard think a, a, a rough figure is that if all of the recommendations are passed by the full council, we're looking at about $6 million more in this particular budget. So we, at some point we would have to, the administration would have to make some cuts or they would have to raise, raise the tax rate to do so. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as part of the impasse procedure, do the unions have to make the case for where the money comes from elsewhere in the budget? They don't. They, they're, they're not required to do so. No. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so roughly six million dollars. Emphasis on 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 the rough here in in terms of that. Um, are there any game plans uh, at, at this process? You, you all probably won't vote on to on the budget until sometime in June. Take the final votes on that. 
Uh, are there any game plans for coming up with that money if these are affirmed? Well, I think it would have to be that uh, the administration, this particular budget, uh, we didn't have as much. And, and as budget chair going forward, I hope that the, that the council will have a little bit more input on what the priorities of the cities of the city is as presented from a budgetary standpoint. We didn't have that this time. So I'm hoping that we will have some of that. This is, you know, the budget is, is the mayor and administration's baby. And so I think that they may have some recommendations and based upon those recommendations, the council could affirm it or we can go back to the drawing board ourselves. Um, back, back to the pay raises for a second. At, at the outset, you were one of the council members who said that, you know, the mayor's proposed a 3% raise for uh, public safety, police and fire, and he's proposed a 1% raise for, for all of the rest of the, of the city employees. You were one of the council members who said pretty early on, I think the council is going to try to bring those two percentages closer together on this. Do the impasse resolutions involving these unions do that? No, they don't, because each individual union may have had a, a different recommendation. Now, uh, I th for, for some of them, I think there was a proposal for slightly higher than that 3%. Mm -hmm. And those could, have been the, those could have been the ones that were rejected. I sat in on uh, one dealing with the engineers. And these are the people who handle uh, the, the treatment facility. And so when we looked at those, I don't think that they were just across the board 3%. There was, they had a couple of different crafts, if you would, that had slightly higher recommended raises. So I think for that one, you may have been a couple of individuals that their pay was like 12% below what the market average is. And so in their proposal, that raise for that group of employees was about 12%, but for the other ones, it may have been three. So, so it's, they were sort of all over the board, and it wasn't just a blanket 3% for each of the bargaining units that they were recommending mm -hmm. to the administration. So, so as, a, as a council member, your job is to, is to look at fairness for each of those groups, but it's also to look at the broader outlook of, of city government, correct? Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, your committee does the budget wrap-up on Monday, as we record this on a, on a Friday. Uh, beyond the pay raise issue, which is a pretty significant issue in this, are there any major changes to, to the Strickland budget that are coming from council members who want to change this or change, change that? I don't see any. Way? Now, we're not going to have wrap-up, and we probably need to get you a, a, a revised schedule <laughs> okay. because we modified the way that the grants are handled. And we didn't have a limit on the number of grant applications that we will, will accept. And so we have about 40 more that we will be hearing on Monday. We've already heard about 50, mm -hmm. 50, 55 of them, but we have 40 more. So our Monday session is pretty much going to be hearing those. And I think we'll probably have the wrap up towards the end of the week or the beginning of next week. I, I okay. just don't recall the schedule exactly. But but as you said, there there don't appear to be, as we've seen in some past budget years, a council member who says, well, I want to put more money into this particular area and take it out of that. You you haven't really seen that. This really year. haven't seen that. And I really have to give uh, the administration a lot of credit in the way that this budget was presented. A lot of, you know, I'm usually the one who asks a lot of questions, but a lot of the answers to the questions that I would normally pose, they were presented in some of the budget presentation materials. So I got to give uh, 
Chief Financial Officer Shirley Ford a lot of credit, Doug McGowan a lot of credit, Mayor Strickland a lot of credit for the way that they presented the budget this year, answered a lot of questions. We knew that it was going to be a, a very uh, tight year from a revenue standpoint and where we may have seen some fluff in previous years. I, honestly, I, I didn't see it this year. But one of the things, too, though, um, I, I if there was room to do so, I would like to see us to do so, but I, I just didn't see much room in it this time. One of the issues that I had was dealing with the general services budget. General services, you know, of course, that's one of the departments where they have budgetary or they have budgetary ask out of the capital budget, then they have budgetary ask out of the operating budget. But the two of them combined is only about $5.3, $5.4 million. And when you look at the city being owners uh, or being the owner of about 300 buildings, that equates to about $18,000. And a lot of our buildings are in state of disrepair. Think about libraries, think about community centers. Um, Miss. Uh, during the, I guess the PSAF MLG and W was held at Whitehaven mm -hmm. yesterday. And so just at that Whitehaven Community Center, saw some little cosmetic things that, you know, if you want to present it to the public, we want to be friendly or we want to have a positive look on, on the assets that we have. We just don't, we just have not allowed allotted enough money in the budget to take care of general cosmetic things that, you know, it's almost like that broken window theory. Hey, you see a broken window there seems like the city is neglecting uh, some of the some of its assets. And I, I just didn't see enough in the budget to handle those type of mm -hmm. issues. Well, well th there's also a, a, an adjunct to the broken windows theory that, that that comes with some of the council discussions, it seems like. And, and that is there's a broken window over here, but you're building a new community center over here in, in, in another district, mm -hmm. which kind of goes back to, to the question of, of, of priorities. Um, the numbers are what they are, and Shirley Ford, the city's chief financial officer, has, has described this as a as a lean budget. But um, are are you satisfied with the city's budget priorities, or do you see different directions the city should be going uh, beyond general services having more money? We had no input, so there was no input or uh, opportunity for council to form what the priorities are for the city together with the administration. So, no, no, I'm not. Um, there is going to be a revision slightly because we had allocated some money in this current fiscal year for the, I think, the architecture and engineering for the Ed Rice Community Center. But as it was originally presented to us, the rest of the allocation was sort of pushed off a couple of years from now. Now, Mr. McGowan came to me the other day and said that they're going to place it place some of the recommendations back in this year. We'll be talking about that in wrap up, but I, I still look at, um, and right before I left the office today, I've, I've printed, I think it's page 285 of the PDF file, the city's CAFR, it's called Consolidated Annual Financial Report. And the CAFR looks back 10 years. The amount of money that's going into the general fund is 5% less today than it was for the year 2008-2009. And that's how we take care of our community centers. That's how we provide employee raises. That's how we take care of just the general operation of the city, the amount of money that's going into the general fund. Now, understand that there, you know, during that period of time, we may have had two reassessments 
of the of 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 property values here in Memphis and in Shelby County. But when we look at when when we look at our overall infrastructure, what we're presenting to the public, residents as well as visitors, I I see a lot of a lot of disrepair. As I was getting off of North Parkway and turning on to uh, turning on to Cleveland to get here, I just saw how bumpy and how uh, how horrible uh, the, the the street was. Mm-hmm. And so that's but the money to take care of those things comes out of the general fund. But how can we expect to have an attractive city if we're not making the investments to repair ourselves? So if there's there's less of that money going into the general fund, where is it going? Because you all do see revenue growth to to some degree year to year. Well, in in, in this particular case, uh, the the administration recommended absorbing some of the health care costs. I think that was may have been somewhere between four and six million dollars. Right. So you know that's part. So the, just the natural inflation rate of health care costs. You know, that's an issue that Memphis faces, I'm sure, other governmental bodies and other uh, other organizations that provide health benefits. That's something that everybody's facing. So I think a part of that has gone into just increased operating costs from a health care standpoint. Uh, we, we did have a reduction in the amount we had to allocate to the pension. But over the past couple of years, that amount has been higher than what it what it is this particular year. And and uh, uh, Shirley Ford, again, the city's chief financial officer, ha- ha- has also said that that the city's debt service, the money that it pays on the on the bonds and other things used to finance construction projects, capital projects, it is easing up a, a, a bit as well. It's not easing up. It is up forty six percent from where it was in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay. And so the way that I've uh, I've likened it and explained it. The money coming in the general fund, that's just like that's using money out of your checking and savings account to pay for the needed repairs or things that you need to do around the house. The money coming from debt service, that's like using your credit card. And so borrowing rates have gone up in the past three years in particular. So our cost of capital, the cost of borrowing the money to do those projects now is greater than it was 10 years ago. And so I just don't like the path we're going down where the debt service amount or money that we collect from property taxes, the amount that's going to debt service is 46% higher, but the amount that takes care the basic cosmetic needs of the city, that number's gone down. So, so how do I balance what I'm hearing from you and what I'm hearing from the administration, which is we're, we're in better shape on, on, on debt service. Well, at some point there is going to be, and I think it might be 2026. There is some point that a significant amount of debt will be, uh, will be retired. Mm -hmm. But when you you look at the CAFR for yourself in 2008, 2009, think that the amount of money that was going to debt service was about 70 cents, 70 cents and some change or a few more cents on top of that right now. And I think it might be a slight reduction this year, and that's to pay for the initiatives that the mayor's talked about, the Community Catalyst Fund, and perhaps the, uh, the Affordable Housing Fund. So that money is coming from the, the amount that's going into the debt service. But I think that might be the only time in the past 10 years that that debt service amount has been reduced. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's go back to the wonderful world of grants here, uh, because... Uh, uh, the council has had some discussions about how to do this, and and over on the uh, Shelby County Commission's side of the Main Street Mall, um, 
they have a, an amount for grants to nonprofit and other groups that are allocated per commissioner. Uh, and, and you all technically, I believe, have, have that same setup, but it works a whole lot differently. Well, the way that it was worded and the meeting at which it was adopted was back in September and Councilwoman Swearingen and I, we left early. We attended the Congressional Black Caucus, so we had to catch a flight like seven o'clock that night. So the, the discussions on this item took place after we left. And I would have objected to it then because just from the standpoint, I asked some of the council administrative staff, hey, was your input salt? before this was put to the table because they're going to be the ones. If we do it the way that the county does things, then they, for one thing, they do it throughout the year, and it would be the administ administrative staff who's handling this throughout the entire course of the year. Now, the way that the resolution was worded on our side is that it's a recommendation. So it's not like it's it's, and, and, and this is something that uh, Attorney Wade explained to us, just looking at the wording of it, it was a recommendation. So the recommendation can be made, but if seven votes say no to that recommendation, then it's just a recommendation. And so that's how we're going to proceed mm -hmm. in the standpoint that we'll have. Uh, we'll have so what I'm going to ask on Monday after we hear these grants, ask colleagues to submit their recommendations. And so once they submit those recommendations, then you'll have to have a majority vote in, in order for those grants to be uh, received. Is, is the list of recommendations that a council member can make, is it limited to a certain dollar amount? Or can they just say, I like, I like all of these and however we vote is how we vote on it? Well, I would envision based upon, I think there's a perception or I guess, well, the reality that it is $200,000. So I expect per council each member. council member mm -hmm to make their recommendation for the total amount of $200,000. All right. To total to $100,000. In the meantime, you all have, have sat through a, uh, a, lot of, a lot of proposals from a lot of groups as a body, whereas on the county commission side, it tends to work as a group comes to a particular commissioner and says, we want to pitch this to you, a grant for our group, and that commissioner puts a resolution out there and the, and the commission votes it up or down. Correct. In, in the council's case, and you all have heard these all as a group. Yes. So, yes. So it, it, it's a little bit confusing. It, 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 it is, but, you know, I, and, you know, I really haven't, uh, I know how the, or have not, uh, I guess a good idea of how the, the commission's process work. And I don't think that they handled, that they handle theirs just during the budget season. Mm -hmm. And so it can be throughout the year. And one of the things that, you know, with all of the other responsibilities that we have to have uh, leading up to budget, I was receiving requests from people who were going to be submitting grants, asking to meet, to hear what their case was. And I didn't meet with anybody because knowing the number that we would have, it would be impossible for me or any other council member to meet with everybody who was going to be making a grant request to do that. And so instead of just favoring one organization or another, I just said no to everybody mm -hmm. and let it be heard before the full council. Right. So, so it looks like once, once everything is settled with the budget, there's probably another council discussion to come on what we do about grants and, and, everything's on the table. Well, from, from a wrap up standpoint, so we'll hear those recommendations. We will, I'll try to, um, 
we'll, we'll have a selection committee. Mm-hmm. And the selection committee will say, these are the 50, 60, 70, however many grants we have for the $2 million, $2.6 million that, would, that has totally been allocated for each one. All right. Um, this is your, your first time as the budget committee chairman for yes. the Memphis City Council, uh, inheriting the position from, from Edmund Ford. This is arguably the most important committee that the council has. Some other chairman may it is, argue yes. about that. But, it is. Mm-hmm. It is because it sets the direction. You know, it, it tells us how much we have to spend to provide services to our citizens. Mm-hmm. So, um, so h- how do you think the process has gone, especially because you have three new council members, actually four who have been there for, for less than a, a, a going on a full term now. You have three appointed members. Um, what, what's, what's the learning curve kind of been like on this? I think that they are grasping it uh, very, very well, and they are asking questions. You know, one of the things, uh, uh, I didn't make any apologies about the number of questions that I was asking during my first budget, budget hearings. And I'm encouraged by the fact that my, my newer colleagues, they're asking the same questions. They're being engaged. All right. A final point. Um, the tax, uh, city property tax rate that is proposed is a stable tax rate, no increase in it. Uh, is there any inclination to propose a property tax hike? Uh, you know, I don't know. That could be. I'd like to see how the council comes back. I mean, I'm sorry, how the administration comes back. And if the council says yes to six million dollars in, in employee raises how it's going to be proposed but one of the things that I, I say about Memphis if we we just have to ask ourselves as I was driving on Cleveland to get here is this the presentation that I want our city to have for somebody who's visiting Memphis and I'd say no and 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 Bill I'm probably one of the cheapest people you're ever meeting in your life <laughs> But I like value. Now, if if I'm getting something, if I'm paying something, I want to know that I'm getting something in return. And, you know, in in my years in public service, I think that Memphis has some very reasonable people. From this, if, if you're going to raise their taxes or do something to cost them a little bit more, they want to see, they want to know what it is for. But if you hear people complaining about the potholes. You hear people and the administration to its credit has done something about the curbside pickup from a solid waste standpoint. Those things cost money. But if, and, and I just tend to believe if you tell people where their money is going and they see it, I don't think they have a problem with it. All right. Memphis City Council member Martavius Jones, who is also the chairman of the Memphis City Council's Budget Committee. I'm Omer Yusuf, county government reporter for the Daily Memphian. As it continues its budget process, the Shelby County Commission held its first budget hearing May 15th. No action was taken at the budget hearing, but several newly elected county officials presented their first budget since taking office. Assessor of Property Melvin Burgess and County Clerk Wanda Halbert were just two of the elected officials on hand that day. While the amounts varied, each elected official asked for an increase in their budget because they believed it is vital for them to run a more efficient office. Commissioners warned them, however, because it's a tight budget season, they will likely not get all or much of what they asked for. The reason commissioners believe it will be a tight budget season is because there was an over-forecast in county property tax revenue last year, leading to a short deficit, a big difference for a county that has had multiple surpluses in recent years. The county will hold its next budget hearing May 22nd and a community budget meeting at the Shelby Showplace Arena, rather, May 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear the community's thoughts on the proposed budget.
In other business, the county commission also voted on in favor of a resolution May 20th supporting the censure of criminal court judge Jim Lamey. Multiple commissioners brought the resolution forward after the judge shared several social media posts deemed anti-immigrant and racist. Two commissioners, Amber Mills and Brandon Morrison, however, abstained from the commission's vote on the resolution May 8th in committee. Mills wanted to hear from Lamey before supporting the resolution, and Morrison questioned whether the commission should intervene in judiciary matters, though she did say his comments were indefensible. Commissioner Tammy Sawyer challenged her colleagues to unanimously support the resolution after the committee vote. Lamey did not appear at Monday's meeting, but wrote a letter to commissioners saying what's happened to him was a character assassination. Both Mills and Morrison supported the resolution Monday, and the commission passed it unanimously 12 to 0. To keep up with the latest in Shelby County government, go to DailyMemphian.com. For the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast, I'm Omar Youssef. Democratic State Representatives London Lamar and Antonio Parkinson on the WKNO television program Behind the Headlines this week to talk about the Speaker of the House and the session just ended. Subscribe to the Daily Memphian at DailyMemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Memphian, at DM, and at Omer A. Yusuf. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, the Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.